0: As you know, I've been doing a series here entitled, Loving You as God Loves You, Relationships God's Way. And so we'll be studying this morning, Continue this study on the next sermon is entitled this morning, What Do I Look For? You know, the last time we looked at um, finding your soulmate and how to find God's soulmate for your soul. And so this morning we're going to be going on, if I'm looking for that soulmate, what type of person do I look for? What kind of... Characteristics that I look for. So this morning, we're looking from the Word of God because I always believe don't believe a word I have to say, but believe what the Bible has to say this morning. Amen? Yeah. So this morning, First Samuel chapter 16, verse 7 is the opening text. This series that I'm doing is not just information that I'm passing down to you, what I'm really preaching to you is part of my life. It's part of my experiences, what I'm sharing with you. You see, I made a lot of bad decisions in my past relationships before I got married. And so I wish I knew what you're learning from the Word of God. I wish I knew back then I would have saved me a lot of pain and suffering and heartache if I followed God's way and not my way in how to do relationships. But because of God's grace and through His mercy... He finally helped me to make the right decisions in the end. My hope this morning is that you will learn from what is shared this morning, from what I experienced in my life, that it will save you from a lot of heartache and save you from a lot of pain and suffering, that you will follow God's word. You know, everything I'm preaching is opposite of what I did. And so I want to, except for the ending part of my life. And you know, one decision can make you, can one tiny decision, this direction or that direction, can actually lead you to have a life of happiness or a life of misery. Do you believe that, beloved, this morning? you believe that? Let me hear you say amen. 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 And so this morning, I believe, it's important to follow the principles of the Word of God as we share. So we're looking at what do I look for this morning. So this morning, we're looking at what we need to consider in a spouse before we make the decision to get married, and as we discover these principles of love through the Word of God together, may God's Spirit impress our minds with the truth for this time. Let us pray. Father, as your Word is open, we do, Lord, humbly kneel in our minds before the foot of the cross, we see your great love for us this morning. We ask for your Holy Spirit to teach us, to guide us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. What do people normally look for in a spouse? First Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, the Bible says, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance, or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord see not as man sees. For man looks on the outward what? Appearance. But the Lord looketh on the what? On the heart. See, people are naturally attracted to other people in relationships on the outward appearance of a person. while well, God instead He looks at the heart, He looks at the inside character of a person or who that person really is. That's how God looks at a person. But we naturally look at the attractive beauty on the outside and characteristics and personalities. That's what we normally look at as man. And I've heard through the years from several young people about lists they had created describing the type of person they had married. Ever happened to you? You ever made a list out there? Maybe you, the kind of husband you want to marry or the type of woman you want to marry? And then when you made that list, you, you wrote it down or you had friends who wrote that list. And let me write a few um, things down on the list. Um, men's list. Sometimes they say on the list, number one, she must be Pretty, beautiful, good looking. She must have a nice, healthy body. She must dress fashionable in style, especially young people. She must be popular. She must be fun to be with. She must be educated. And then women make their list also. And they make the list he must be good looking. He must drive in Hawaii a big truck, he must be in shape, he must be funny, he must be popular, he must have a lot of money. (laughs) And if you look at these lists that are presented to you, you see that the main emphasis is on the outward appearances of a person. And the reality is that the outward appearances lack the substance for a sustain a strong and a healthy mes- marriage today especially in today's sinful world these outward appearances is not strong enough to hold it together you see god knows what it takes to make a relationship work in this world of sin and what makes it work is what a person is on the inside rather than what a person is on the outside you see looks will fade nice bodies will age. Popularity will disappear. A sense of humor may become stale. A good job may become discouraging. Fancy cars and fancy clothes will sooner or later get out of style. But a person's character will stand the test of time And will be the deciding factor whether a marriage will make it or whether it will fail. Not money or looks, but character on the inside. Who a person is on the inside matters than what a person is on the outside. So, this morning, if you already have a list this morning, my hope today is that at the end of this sermon you're going to revise your list this morning. and align it with what God says is most important in order for your relationship to work. I invite you to turn to me to Genesis chapter 24 this morning. Genesis chapter 24, verse 13 to 14. Now we're going to look at Eleazar, and he's went, Eleazar went to find a perfect match for his master, Abraham's son, Isaac. And what did he look for? Genesis chapter 24, verse 13 and 14 What qualities did Eliezer list on his list in order to find the perfect wife for Isaac? Genesis chapter 24, verse 13 and 14. The Bible says, this is what is signed. So give me a slang, God, and this is what the type of woman I'm looking for. The Bible says, 13, behold, I stand here by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water. And let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, let down your pitcher, I pray you that I may drink. And she shall say, drink, and I will give your camels drink also. Let the same be she that, ha- that thou has appointed for your servant Isaac. And thereby shall I know that you have showed kindness unto my master. Eliezer asked for a sign from God. He said, and this was a sign. He asked, if he was to go and ask this woman at the well for a drink of water, any woman that came by, And she would say, sure, and she would go down and put down a pitcher into the well and bring it up and give it to him to drink. And then, notice this, and go beyond what was asked and say, let me also, not ask him, she didn't ask him, but if she was to go beyond and say, let me go beyond and draw water for your camels also and and give water for all his camels, then he said this was a test to determine if this was the person for Isaac or not. You see, the qualifying test in finding the right woman for Isaac was a character test on the inside rather than an appearance test on the outside. If there was a list that Eliezer had, it would be something like this. She must be thoughtful inside. She must be kind. She must be a hard worker. She must be practical. She must be unselfish. She must go beyond what is asked. She must be a virtuous, godly woman. And then he met this woman. Her name's Rebecca. Verses 16 to 21. Eliezer met this woman. What happened? How did he react to the situation? Genesis 24, verse 16 to 21. The Bible says, And the damsel was very fair to look upon a virgin... Neither had any man known her. And she went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up. And a servant ran to meet her and said, Let me, I pray you, drink a little water of your pitcher, thy pitcher. And she said, Drink, my Lord. And she hasted or she moved quickly. She didn't move slowly, but she moved quickly. And let down her pitcher upon her hand and gave him drink. And when she had done giving him drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have done drinking. And she hasted She moved quickly and emptied her pitcher into the trough and ran again, and, and ran again. Let me say that again. And ran again until the well to draw water and drew for all his camels. And the man wondering or amazed at her held his, his peace, or was speechless beloved, was speechless to it whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. The Bible says that Rebecca hasted and grabbed water from him, pulled up water quickly, was a hard worker, fast, practical hard worker, and then went beyond what was asked without even being asked or told what to do, went beyond what was asked and did it. And the Bible says she moved quickly, and then it says, after they got water, ran back, ran, actually the Bible says ran for a purpose, ran. Here was a godly woman, practical, kind, thoughtful, unselfish, going beyond what is asked, a virtuous woman. Here was a woman that he was so much so that he went beyond all his expectations, so much so that the Bible says that Eleazar wondered in amazement and was speechless as he watched this woman work at the well. He just couldn't believe it that right before his very own eyes, that here was a practical, hard-working, thoughtful, kind, unselfish, virtuous woman. After searching in so many places, after looking in so many churches... After hunting on so many Christian campuses or going to so many Christian seminars, he had finally finally found a woman, a godly, virtuous woman, a practical, hardworking, unselfish woman. He couldn't believe his eyes. He had finally found a virtuous woman such as this woman. Speechless, amazed, in wonder. Now virtuous woman is important. But what does the Bible say about finding a virtuous woman? Turn to me to Proverbs chapter 31, verse 10. Proverbs chapter 31. This is the virtuous woman chapter. Proverbs chapter 31, verse 10. What does the Bible say about finding a virtuous woman? The Bible says, Who can find a virtuous woman? for her price is far above rubies. The question is asked, who can find a virtuous woman? What the Bible is saying here is that it is almost impossible to find a virtuous woman, for she is as valuable and rare as our precious stones. There's another text in the Bible that says, a man out of a thousand you can find, but a woman cannot find. Who can find a virtuous woman? I invite you to read the whole chapter of Proverbs 31. This chapter lists the characteristics of what a virtuous person is. So you know what type of person to marry. But for now, we're going to look at only one principle here from this chapter. Turn to verses 13 to 16. Proverbs chapter 31, verses 13 to 16. What does a virtuous woman do with her hands? The Bible says, She seeketh wool and flax, and work it what? Willingly. Willingly in her heart with her hands. She is like the merchant ships, she brings her food from afar. She rises also while it is yet night and gives food to her household and a portion to her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she planted a vineyard. She is not idle. She is not lazy. She is not sluggish. She is industrious. She is useful. She is working. She is practical. I find that it is unfortunate today, beloved, that we live in an age that is very unwilling to work and are also becoming very impractical today. I find it very disturbing to me to see, um, especially the young people growing up today having no sense of accountability or hard work and i can't blame it as much as i blame ourselves because where did they get that from they get it from us as parents beloved this morning we live in an age was becoming very impractical you know today i appreciate for the most part the modern convenience conveniences today and the conveniences and time Saving capabilities of my laptop computer. I love it. I love what it can do. You know, for example, when I create my sermons on my laptop, I can go into logos, and I can do word studies, and I can find texts I'm looking for, and I can look into the original Hebrew and original Greek for a sermon and prepare all that. And then if I want to go further, I can go into the writings of Ellen G. White and search that in one button. I can find all she has to say about a certain topic. Then I can click and I can go to what the Reformation leader said about a certain topic. Then I go into another area. Then I can go and find our text commentary and go to the SDA Bible commentary. And I can go different routes all just on my laptop computer. And so I praise God for modern technology today. I appreciate what computers can do today and save, save us so much time today. But what I'm noticing today is a disturbing trend. A very disturbing trend. A trend of impracticality. I'm seeing a newer generation, including myself, today, that is able to use modern technology and electronical gadgets, but is unable to perform everyday practical work that needs to be done. Young people today, they know how to fix a software problem on a computer. But they don't know how to fix a flat tire when it's stuck on the side of the road at midnight where the cell phone doesn't work. Young people today know how to drive a race car on a video game. But they don't even know how to drive stick shift or a car or don't have the license when they're in their 20s. Young people today know how to make beautiful web pages on the internet. But some of them don't even know how to make a simple meal. I have a friend that works at the Salvation Army's boys' home in Hilo. And he was telling me that this one kid was giving him problems, was giving him an attitude and back talking, was fighting him. And he realized what had happened. He was asking him to make excuse me, but he was asking him to make ham and cheese sandwich. And he was rebelling and giving an attitude because he didn't know how to make a ham and a cheese sandwich. He didn't know how, he's 16 years old. He did not know how to make a meal. He did not know how to make a ham and cheese sirens. Now, we're going, this is an extreme, but the principle is there. Our young people are losing the practicality of life. Simple bread, ham, cheese, bread. This is the trend of many of our young people today, and this is the type of person you want to marry just because he makes you feel good or just because she's the only one that can understand you and that's the decision you're going by to determine that's the one you're going to be made in for the rest of your life makes me feel so good. Every other girl doesn't understand me. She's the only one that understands my heart. He says that he's going to provide for you for the rest of your life and he doesn't drive anything. He has a catcher ride just to see you. She says that she'll take care of you, and she doesn't even know how to make rice and a rice cooker. She burns it every time she tries. Just press the button, right? <laughs> I have a good friend who's in his 20s, and mid-20s, and he says that, Pastor, you know, every job that I've been to, he said, every job I've been to, I've won some type of award. Every single job I've been to. I've been to they, they come up to me and they tell me, I'm so thankful you work for us. I really appreciate your work. You're doing such a great work. Please don't leave. Every job he's been to, you win some type of award. Everywhere he goes. And he said, you know what? Really, Pastor, I don't do anything. I just show up to work and do my job. And what hits him is that the work that's been out there and the job force out there is so bad that if you just show up and do your job, you're going to be considered a great worker that they don't want to lose, right? Is that true? Amen? Is that not true out there today? Show sure. up. And he wins all these awards and says, I don't do anything. I think I just show up to work and do my job. What I'm supposed to do, he says. The contrast is so strong. And it's come to the point that if you as a Christian believe and to strive to be like Christ, for well, Christ was perfect in every craftsman that he, workmanship that he did, perfect. If you strive for that and do it at good speed, if you do all that, you're going to stand out very strongly no matter what job you're in, right, today. Very strongly. And people will notice, even if you don't strive for that, you just do your job and you show up, you're going to stand out. Eliezer was blessed because he found a woman not only who's willing to do what was supposed to be of her, just giving a drink, but she went beyond what was asked. You don't find that today. Now everything's union, union, right? Ain't there a union out there? I know people that say that union jobs are like this. There's a union job. You get a union job and you work in carpentry. And you work in carpentry or you're doing framing. The guy who's framing cannot do, um, cannot do the mason work. Because they do the mason work, what's going to happen? They're going to fire you. You know that. They'll fire you. You can't even pick up rubbish because you're taking out the, the worker's job. That's another person's job. So you drop rubbish. And unfortunately, that union mentality enters into our home life. That's not my job. It's his job. That union mentality enters into the church life. That's not my job. It's her job. And so that mentality which inspiration tells us we should not enter into has entered into us today. That's not my job. Let them do it. They were asked to do it. I'm not going to help out. Sweating blood, sweating tears. and Oh, that's, that's their job. And so that attitude of union has come into our homes and into our churches. But here was the refreshing thing. Eliezer was amazed. He wondered. He was speechless. Why? Because he was somebody who went against the system at that time. Somebody who worked quickly. Somebody who was a hard worker. Someone who was unselfish. Someone who went beyond what was asked. You're like, wow, that's a godly woman. You don't find those type of women anymore. Today, you don't find that type of woman. You don't find that type of man. They go above and beyond what is asked. They go beyond what you could ever ask or think. And I think about how Christ is, when they receive the gospel especially, when you realize that God goes above and beyond what you ask or think, and you appreciate that, then you will go above and beyond what anyone else could ask or think for your fellow man. It's a response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Turn me to Ruth chapter 1 verse 8. Ruth chapter 1, right after Joshua, Judges, and then Ruth chapter 1 verse 8. Let's take a look in the Bible at a true love story. I love this story. This is one of my favorite stories, if not the favorite, my favorite story. Let's look at the love story of Boaz and Ruth. Ruth chapter 1, verse 8 to 10. You see, the story goes where Naomi was in Israel. She left, and she left with her husband. Because there was a famine in the land, the Bible says. So they went down to Moab. And while she was down in Moab, she had her two sons. She had her two sons with her. And then while right they're down in Moab, her husband dies and passes away. Heartbroken that her husband died. Her sons married two Moabitis women. So they're married now. But after her husband died, something else happened. She then lost her two sons. Grief stricken, broken. She decides, and she hears that there's bread in, in Israel again. So this, she decides to go back on that road to Judah. And so she's leaving back to the road to Judah. And then we, thus we enter the story in verse 8. The Bible says, And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, this Arpa and Ruth, said, Go, return east to her mother's house, The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto your people. So when she told them, You must go back, Arpa and Ruth, go back to your home. You were born and raised in Moab. Stay here, don't come with me. But they lifted the both of them. No, I want you to notice both Arpah and Ruth said, No. They lifted up their voices, they wept, and they said, No, we will go with you. On her first appeal to, to ask them to stay and stay there in Moab. What happened in verse 11 to 14? The Bible says, And Naomi said the second time, Turn again. My daughters, why will you go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that you may, they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight, and should also bear sons, would you tarry for them till they are grown? Would you stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieves me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Arpa kissed the mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. You see, both Arpa and Ruth were good people. They both revealed fine characters that they started out on the road to Judah with Naomi. It was only at the second urging to return to their families that Arpa finally returned to her own home. You see, Arpa was a good person. She was a fine person with a good character. But Ruth's thoughtful, unselfish love shines so much stronger that Arpa is overshadowed in this story. Ruth's virtue, faithfulness and loyalty is all the more amazing when we count what's happening here. You see the book before Ruth was the book of Judges. And in the book of Judges is characterized by infidelity, disobedience, idolatry, apostasy and general waywardness. And then right after the book of Judges is the book of Ruth. Ruth is like an o- oasis in the middle of a desert. It's refreshing. To see unselfish love revealed in Ruth, I want you to notice that ARPA gave a show of commitment, but Ruth gave the substance of commitment. Do you hear the difference? ARPA kissed Naomi. ARPA showed affection to Naomi. Arthur said she loved, I love you, Naomi. But it was Ruth that actually gave the substance of it and clung to Naomi, while Arthur went back to her town. It's one thing to give the show of commitment, the show of affection, but it's quite another to have the substance thereof. And today, beloved, there are many people who are like Arthur today. They give a show of commitment to you in a relationship. They They give you a show of love, they will even kiss you, but then they'll turn right around and they'll hurt you behind your back. What we need today is men and women like Ruth who will not only show affection but give the substance of affection by staying and clinging with you till death do you part. Amen? There are also many today that are like Arpa in their relationship with God. They say, God, I love you. God, they show their affection to God. They even kiss God. They praise God. They say, how good God is. God is so good. He's so wonderful. They give testimonies to God. They say, God, I love you so much and with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, just like Arpa, they give all the praises and honor and glory to God. But they do not show their love through their actions, and through their works. Like Arpa, they are all talk. Both Arpa and Ruth loved Naomi, but only one showed love. Ruth just didn't talk about her love. She did something about her love to Naomi. She clung to Naomi and did not let her go at all. And today, there are people today that profess godliness and serving God, and I love you, God. But we told the inspiration that those who love God the most will show the greatest amount of work for him. If you truly love God, you would not be like Arpa, with just mouthing the words and saying the words, but through your actions in your home life, your actions in your workplace, your actions in God's church, beloved, will be revealed to what you do, whether you're an Arpa, or whether you're a virtuous person as Ruth. How many of us this morning are clinging to Jesus? How many of us, rather than just giving lip service to God, can actually say that we're doing something sacrificial for Him, such as Ruth did? How did Ruth respond to Naomi? Verses 15 to 18. The Bible says, And she said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back unto her people. Naomi is talking to Ruth. And unto her gods, return thou after your sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you, or to return from falling after you. For whether thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. And when she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. Ruth was thinking not of herself, but of Naomi. Here's this virtuous woman. Not of who would look after her after losing her husband, but how she could care for her mother-in-law. This was the character of Ruth not of her Moabite friends and her family where she grew up with, but of Naomi's. Her mother-in-law had no wealth or security to offer her, but Ruth had observed the family and had fallen in love with them and with their God. And then she met a man named Boaz. Turn to chapter 2, verse 4. Ruth, chapter 2, verse 4. What kind of man was Boaz? Boaz. What does it say how he reacted to his his workers, where he he worked at? He was actually the boss. But notice what it says in chapter 2, verse 4. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, his workers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless thee. You see, Boaz was a godly man he addresses workers every day with the greeting, the Lord be with you. In other words, Boaz shared his religion in the workplace. And his workers respected him so much that they responded to his religious nature. They said, the Lord bless thee. And as you read this book, you also realize the great kindness of Boaz towards Ruth, which before he was even attracted to her. we told in the Bible as you read the story that, first of all, Boaz gave Ruth full encouragement to glean in his fields. He was a very kind man. Number two, he provided for her peace of mind by informing her that the young men would, were told not informed not to bother her. He was thinking about her, a Moabite woman being in Israel, in Judah. He further provided for her needs by making his supply of drinking water available for her. For boys also made her feel like she wasn't a beggar. At mealtimes, he invited her to join his harvesters were bread and relish and even gave her enough roasted grain so that would be enough for leftovers. Five, he instructed his men not to embarrass her if she gleaned amongst the tied sheaves and he even told him to deliberately leave stalks of grain for the sheaves to drop on the ground so she could pick it up. The amount root took home every day it was more than can be done through a hard day's labor. It testified of Boaz's generosity. He was a generous man. That was his inside character. Not outward appearance, but inside character we're talking about this morning. Boaz also, after a while, invited her to spend the rest of the harvest days in his fields. And then finally, Boaz was willing to take the risk involved in redeeming Naomi's property. For we know that the nearest kinsman stated that he didn't want to redeem Naomi's property because he was afraid that he would endanger his own estate and lose it. He was an unselfish man. He wasn't greedy. And then they met. And then Boaz said something about this, said something to Ruth. What type of woman did Boaz say Ruth was? Ruth chapter 3 verse 11. What type of woman did Boaz say Ruth was? Notice the Bible says, And now my daughter, fear not, I will do to thee all that thou requirest. For all the city of my people does know that thou art a virtuous woman. All the people in my city know that you are a virtuous woman. See, you have to understand something about this situation about Ruth, the Moabite, before you can fully understand this statement. You see, the Moabites will look down because it was the Moabites and the Midianites that were used by King Balak to curse Israel. The Moabites tried to get Balaam to curse Israel. And so there's a curse upon Moab for doing that. And when that didn't work, Balaam told King Balak to get a different plan, to get Israel to sin. So it was the Moabites and Midianite women were used to seduce the Israelites into immorality. And the plot worked and brought the curse of God down upon his very own people. And in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 3, we're told that it says that no Moabite could enter into the assembly of Israel even down to the 10th generation. While Edomites and Egyptians only had to wait to the 3rd generation, but not the Midianites and the Moabites. They were cursed by God. They were looked down upon the Israel, by the Israelites. So in other words, in order for the whole city of Judah to state that a Moabite woman was a virtuous woman, she must have been a very virtuous woman. Amen? A very virtuous woman. There were prejudice against them. In fact, there's only one place in the Bible where a woman is called a virtuous woman. And that woman was Ruth. Boaz knew of Ruth's faithfulness. He had seen all that she had done for her mother-in-law and how she had left her father, her mother, her hometown to come to a people she did not know beforehand. You see, Ruth was a special person. A very special person. Her witness spread far and near. She was faithful in her home, faithful in her workplace, faithful in her personal life, in her private life. And her faithfulness came to be widely known. Never underestimate the importance of the impact of personal faithfulness. Amen? We are to let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. We don't do good works in order to be seen like the Pharisees. But neither do we hide who we are just because we don't want to come across as being too religious. Daniel didn't pray three times a day to be seen. But sure enough, people noticed. Shadrach, Meshach, and Benigel didn't refuse to bow down to the image to be seen. But sure enough, they were seen. You see, Ruth, had adopted Naomi's God as her very own, and in return, God accepted her and blessed her with a godly man. They were a godly couple. And a godly couple is made out of godly individuals. you want to have a virtuous woman? The question to ask yourself is, am I a godly man? If you want to have a godly man, the question to ask yourself: Am I a virtuous woman? We talked about last time. God will match make you and bring the perfect soulmate to you, but you got to be your part and allow God's Holy Spirit to transform you to godly man, to transform you to a virtuous woman. You can't expect to get the good end of the stick and the other person to get the bad end. Covenant challenges. Here's your paper here, the green paper. I invite you to turn to this. Covenant challenges on the back of the page on the bottom. Challenges I want to challenge you based upon God's promises to us because our promises will fail as ropes made of sand will fail. It cannot be done. So it's based upon God's promises. He write his laws on our hearts and minds and fulfill them if we surrender our wills to Him. If we're willing to be willing. This is a challenge I would like to make to you and challenge you to make the appeal in your minds at this time. Number one, covenant. That you will not look at the shallow appearances of the outside when you're looking for a spouse, but that you look at the inward character of the heart instead. If you believe that, let me hear you say, Amen. Amen. Come on, if you believe that, let me hear you say, amen. 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 Number two, covenant. That you not be blinded by passion or love. And those people out there in relationships. And you probably know people like that. You probably stare at that person. I stare at that person in the mirror many times. Blinded in relationship. Everyone's telling you it's a bad deal. It's a bad relationship. But you're not going to listen because you're blinded by your passion and you're blinded by your love that you're in. Covenant that you not be blinded by passion or love. Three, covenant that you are only be in a relationship that will help increase your love for God and will help you to grow heavenward. And number four, covenant that you will surrender yourself to God every day so that He can make you into a godly man or a virtuous woman. You believe all this? Let me say, amen. 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 My challenge is that you read the read book, Letters to Young Lovers, by Ellen G. White. As I told you before, I made a lot of bad mistakes in my my life, earlier life. And the relationships I had was bad. And you know, it's, it's, it's interesting that one decision can turn your whole life totally around. One decision can just turn around. And I look at all my bad relationships, and I, I just look and I just praise God that it worked out the way it did work out. When I fell in love with Yvette, my wife, I realized that she was a virtuous woman. And I felt like Eleazar. And I was amazed and speechless as I saw her as a minister. Because every time I heard of something good happening, I heard of Yvette's name. There she was working like Ruth, not like Arpa, just the mouth, but by Ruth. workbee. she was there with the men inside of the garden digging sh- with the dirt and shoveling out there. We're only men. There she was, there when I heard that, oh, they're doing Bible studies. There she was, I heard she's out there giving Bible studies. There I heard, oh, there she was, she's the people down in White People Valley who needed food, and she's driving down, me forward drive to go down there and delivering plates of food for them. I think that's, that's a godly person. That's the characteristics that I want. My list that was so long before of outward appearances that used to be so long ago, so long, as I became a Christian, it dwindled down and down and down to it disappeared. and I started my new list that I would like to encourage young people to start. A new list of the inward heart, the character of a person. And God can make me and you, whether you're single or whether you're married, a godly, upright person. Amen? Ruth was able to be a virtuous woman in a terribly degenerative age. was at the time of the judges. Her age was so wicked. Her age back then was so wicked beloved that it was just like ours. It was exactly like ours. And in this immoral age, we can do the same. We can, if we serve the God of Ruth. We can be men of valor, if Boaz's God is our God. We can be women of virtue, if Ruth's God is our God. So let us therefore shine in this degenerative age. Let us be faithful, let us be true, let us be the kind of people that people look at us and say, what he has, I want, or what she has, I want. This morning, may we marry someone who will comfort our heart when the way is rough, someone who will lift our head up when we had enough, someone to say, I love you with God's heart for you, someone who, by the grace of God, will be there as a virtuous person, praying,